Happy Wednesday, everyone. Thank you for joining me this evening. Today, we are continuing our discussion on mental health awareness. Do you know that an estimated 72% of males don't seek help for mental conditions, mainly because they don't want to be seen as weak or less masculine? Well, today we are here to hopefully change that narrative. We want men to know that it's okay to not be okay. The men joining me today are here to share their therapy approach and explain how a changed mindset equates to a changed lifestyle. So without further ado, let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Tori Lynn. Joining me today are the men of Chain Reaction Counseling Services, which is a community-based operation offering counseling to individuals and families. They believe in a holistic approach to treating mental health needs and specialize in servicing underrepresented groups. First up, he is the founder and CEO of Chain Reaction Counseling Services. He has over 20 years of experience as a school social worker and is a member of the Clinical Hypnosis Institute. Serving as a youth and high school coach for many years, he makes connections between physical and mental similarities to relate with the athletes he services. He feels that every action is a reaction of certain chain of events. Welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Chaney. Hi, Brian. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. Next, he has worked in social work in many aspects from clinical therapist to community liaison. He has been a mentor and coach for the youth in his community for over a decade and is an active board member with the Pontiac Youth Assistance. His passion is guiding human beings to overcome the short and long-term effects of adverse obstacles encountered in everyday life. Welcome to the show, Mr. Grant Sykes. Hi, Brian. Friend. How you doing? How you doing? Yep. Last but not least, his experience includes counseling K-12 and university students, along with providing mental health case management and workforce development services for Detroit youth and families. He has served with the Detroit Public Schools, Wayne State University School of Social Work, the Office of Federal Trio, the Union Inc., and the City of Detroit Mayor's Office Department of Youth Services. His ultimate goal is to help clients to develop self-awareness, safety, explore their thoughts and feelings, and proactively address life difficulties and transitions. Welcome to the show, Mr. Lawrence Robinson. Hi, Lawrence. Hello. Hello, everybody. Thanks thank for you for joining me. me. Thank you. So thank you all for joining me today. I'm excited to have you all here to continue this much-needed discussion on mental health, and I know the audience is excited as well. So let's get started. We all know that it takes a very special person to dedicate themselves to helping others establish a healthy mindset and lead a prosperous life. So I'd like to start off by asking each of you to tell us a little bit about that moment when you discovered your passion for mental health and realized it was your responsibility to provide essential services to the underrepresented populations that you serve. Brian, we'll start with you. Okay, well, thank you. I actually discovered my passion for the mental health field as a young child. My mother has always been in the human service field and I was always attached to her hips. So uh, I definitely knew it was something I wanted to be a part of. And we had a situation where I had a family member who tried to commit suicide. And I had a forget her type of attitude. Like she wants to remove herself from her family, let her go. And my mother stopped me at that point. She said, Brian, you can't be judgmental. 
don't know what she's going through, what kind of tools she has to deal with these things and, or how she's coping with them. But at that point in my life, I understood that my 13-year-old perspective or perception of the world was much broader. And I actually realized that was my responsibility to serve an underrepresented population when I was in undergrad. When I was in undergrad, there were no professors that looked like me. There were no department heads, and there weren't many students that looked like me. So when I'm in class and I see another male, it was very surprising. But to see another black male, was almost like it, it's not happening. So I knew then that there was a piece of um, this mental health piece that wasn't being addressed. And that was from a black male's perspective. So therefore I knew that it was my job and my responsibility to make sure that I'll be a face in this field that clients could connect with and understand and know that I have had some of the same experiences that they've had. Absolutely. And that's why it's important to know that representation matters because a lot of our young boys, they don't get to see exactly what you said. They don't see people that look like them in those type of uh, settings. So what about you, Brent? So just to piggyback on what Brian was saying, with my experience, it was similar, but um, coming from a community that is the trauma runs rampant in my community. I was asked a long time ago to do some volunteering at my son's school, my oldest son. Um, and the principal said, well, will you put a program together for some of our at-risk kids? So I started doing that uh, weekly, and then it turned into a couple days a week. And, uh, you know, we talked about short-term, long-term goals, some financial things, and these is elementary kids. And it just showed me just a lack of education, not academically, but just a lack of education about life that these kids had. So that's when I decided, you know what? I need to go in this profession because these kids are dealing with so much stress and so much trauma that I decided to go back, get some credentials. And um, I've been on this track ever since to uh, help my, not only my community, but you know, people that look like me. That's amazing. We thank you. Hmm, thank you. Lawrence, what about you? For myself, you know, ever since I was young or even since I've been to college, I've always wanted to make a, a large scale impact. Um, and that's helping individuals with resources, um, whether it be jobs or, or just uh, any type of resources in the community, encouraging them in that way. But my, my passion developed as far as mental health, actually, when I was making my transition from college myself, you know, getting my master's degree in social work, making that transition into the kind of like the real world work, trying to still find my, my own path in life going through a little phase of like wow like this is a little bit a little bit unsure and then also when my when my daughter was born um you know we went through a little bit of postpartum depression that me and my wife had to deal with or handle and um that also had me thinking and then lastly during my time at Wayne State University I was an academic advisor working with uh aspiring social workers who want to help others and seeing them and helping them overcome their obstacles um, inspired me to want to do the clinical side of uh, social work. That's great. Yeah, a lot of times we are um, kind of inspired by our family members that get a lot of people into that position to where they want to start out with, you know, their own family issues that are occurring that they want to help make better. Um, so that's great for you guys for sharing that. 
Now, I know several uh, mental health professionals that I've spoken with in the past, they've often shared personal life experiences that they say have helped them become better therapists or have been motivations for them along the way in their career. So how have your experiences enabled you to excel in your respective areas of expertise? Um, Brent, what's up with you? Um, I was blessed enough, you know, to grow up in a two-parent household. But what that allowed me to do is bump my head because I was more of a rebel without a cause for real. And I bumped my head a lot. I made a, I made some mistakes that could have been detrimental to my life. So I see that. And it took the guidance and the help from other people to help me. And I just want to be that person for people. You can bump your head. You can make mistakes. Um, you will fail more than you succeed. And I just want them to know that without it being stigmatized and you don't have to give up on yourself. You just keep on pushing and uh, you can accomplish any goal that you want to accomplish. Absolutely. What about you, Lawrence? I mean, walking alongside other people on their journey is something that I feel, you know, dedicated to because somebody did it for me, you know, every step of the way, whether it was, you know, me as a, as a teenager, I'm getting through that, you know, going through the pressures of life, whether it be being picked on and or, or just trying to find my way there. And then the transition into college. I've been an African-American male, first generation college student. And um, or even, like I said earlier, transitioning out of college as well. Um, someone was always seemed to be there uh, to help me um, kind of focus or kind of reflect on, on what's happening in, in life and where I want to where I want to actually be headed um, and to deal with some of those, those tough issues too um, that I was going through on a weekly basis. So that's where it came in for me to have more patience um, and love for, ind for individuals um, and to be consistent, you know, loyal to the people that I do serve. Absolutely. Consistency is important. That's key. Uh, so Mr. Brian, what have your life, how have your life experiences helped you? Well, growing up in the inner city, um, I was bullied all through elementary and middle school. And to tell you the truth, my life experience as an athlete has definitely helped enhance, mold, and excel me in the field of sports social work because it's taught me with dedication, resilience, hard work, sacrifice, teamwork, sudden change, resilience, uh, all these things. It taught me that. So sports really imitates life in so many different, on so many different levels. And so for me to be able to use social work and sports and blend the two, that's an awesome, awesome, um, awesome thing for me to do, an awesome avenue for me to touch that, the, the people that I serve as the athletes or whoever, because without sports, I wouldn't know that I could do the things I could do. There's no, I don't have to walk around and be afraid of anybody anymore because I know that I can impose my will. But that was through, and I know that when I have tough times and I'm challenged, that I know how to rise to occasion because I've had to do it up under extreme physical as well as mental situations. Absolutely, thank you for sharing that. And that's a great segue into my next question because I know uh, being a student athlete yourself or you guys working with student athletes, you all know that the stress to perform in the game or you know, whatever avenue they're doing on top of the added pressures to maintain the classwork and grades can be incredibly challenging for a person's mental health. Uh, when I read and researched the statistics on mental health and athletes, 
According to Athletes for Hope, 33% of college students experience significant symptoms of depression or anxiety or even other mental health conditions. But when you talk about that group and how many of them seek help, the percentage is 30%. When we go to college athletes that are experiencing mental health conditions, only about 10 of them seek help. Um, and when they talk about professional athletes, the data shows that up to 35% of the elite athletes suffer from mental health crisis, which can manifest as either stress, eating disorders, burnout, or depression and anxiety. Uh, so, Brian, as you mentioned, with you being the only certified male sports social worker in the state of Michigan, what is your approach with athletes who are experiencing the mental health crisis? I'm glad you asked that, Toy Lynn. It's no different than a, a student athlete with a physical injury. If you're on the field and you see somebody break their leg, the first thing you're going to do is get them some medical attention. After you get that medical attention, you're going to make sure you do any and everything you can to get that athlete back to performing at the level that they were performing prior to that injury, if not even performing better. But when we start looking at mental health the same way, because some of these players are on the field, and they have some things going on in their personal lives that aren't going to allow them to be fully present. However, as tradition goes, especially in the coaching field, you got to get over that and you got to come practice. So again, when we start looking at mental health issues, the same as we do as the physical issues, then we'll be making our way in the right direction. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, now, Brent, with you mentoring and coaching the youth for as long as you have, I'm sure you've seen most of these kids grow and mature right in front of your eyes and probably have a little bit of insight into their home life as well. I know you mentioned some trauma growing up in your neighborhood and things that you were witness to. So being a lot of the issues that we deal with that adult stream from our childhood, can you explain the importance of recognizing some of that trauma that we experience as children, how that impacts our behaviors as adults and what we can possibly do to minimize some of the effects that may have on us as we get older? Yes. Yeah, so you said it right. The first thing we have to do is recognize because when we face trauma as youth, it changes our brain's pathways which means connections that we're supposed to develop that lead us into positivity and confidence and self-esteem, those get broken down, right? And they go another way, which leads to poor self-esteem, um, um, lack of effort, lack of self, uh, lack of the ability to think you can overcome obstacles. And we've seen it play out, I'm pretty sure we all have, plenty of times. You know, and the uh, people grow up not recognize it or really, I don't even want to say they don't recognize it. What they do is normalize. It. It's not normalized to go through some of the trauma that we have been through in the African-American community, African-American community. So we have to recognize it in order to come and talk about it. And, you know, it's a stigma on therapy that is reducing itself right now because a lot of African-Americans, especially some male, especially males, are reaching out for therapy. Once we are able to talk about it, we can learn from it and then we can build from it to overcome that obstacle and, you know, gain the mental stability that we would like to have, meaning being able to control ourselves in certain situations, being able to overthink, to, to over, not overthink in a bad way, but overstand certain situations that we don't have to react to. We don't have to be the judge and jury over every situation that lead us into something that could, you know, we can't come back from. So that's where the, the, the recognizing your trauma as a youth um, 
real benefit to life and can also save your life. Absolutely. Great. Thank you for that. Cause I think it is important, like you said, to just, I guess, know our boundaries, know what we can do and what we can and know our limit and where, you know, think certain situations may take us mentally. Yes. Uh, I know we talked about a lot of seeing the children grow and being in the neighborhood. And I know Lawrence, um, you work a lot with the younger kids. And I've heard a lot of professionals say that it's a little more difficult to get small children to open up during therapy sessions, maybe because they don't feel comfortable with the therapist yet, or they may think they may get in trouble for something they might say. But with your background and experience with the younger population, what's been your greatest challenge with counseling the K through 12 students and how do you manage to overcome it? Oh, it's definitely, um, I would definitely say um, just patience to allow them to open up building that rapport at the beginning where they can uh where they can trust you and, and want to open up but more so even not even them but it's really on my end as a therapist uh you know the, the, to handle the counter transference you know if i hear something that you know i have these ideas in my head about how i got through something mm. or sometimes you can forget about the training and go into get personal and what i've uh, learned to do learn to handle is is not to you know press own ideas and values and really give them an opportunity to open up, be themselves, to really understand, try to understand who they are, what their interests are, ask those questions genuinely to understand rather than trying to impose or guide the conversation in a certain way when they may not be ready. Um, and over time, I believe they can pick up sense on that, pick up on that. Um, and I just know that personally because when I have been intrusive, sometimes it don't work out, but when I'm patient, you know, um, asking questions genuine, um, they tend to open up a lot more. Um, so it's really not necessarily difficult. Like, like the kids, it can be sometimes with ourselves um, and handling, mm -hmm. handling it mm -hmm. as well. That's a good point. Thank you for that. Um, and just a question I'm just curious, when you have a lot of those sessions with the younger kids, are the parents present or do you more so typically like to take them just by themselves so they can possibly feel more comfortable in opening up? Uh, we uh, we um, do, the parents are not present um, until maybe the end or maybe at the beginning for maybe five minutes. But I like to start them off one-on-one -on -one, um, and then maybe at the end, bring the parents in if they agree that they want to talk about something with the parents. It depends on what the child is, is dealing with as well. Like, you know, certain certain maybe disabilities or, or things that they may be dealing with, you know, we, we bring the parent in just to update them on information if the child is coming. Um, so it's definitely one on uh, one on one. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, I want to transition into a little bit about what you guys are doing over at Chain Reaction Counseling Services because you guys are doing some amazing things and have some great approaches that you take. Um, so I don't personally know anyone, Brian, that has ever undergone hypnosis. That's something that you know I've only seen in movies or on TV. So can you explain a little bit about hypnotherapy and how you incorporate that approach into your client's treatment? Yes, ma'am. Well, some of the stage hypnosis that uh, most of us most of us have seen, like people stand on stage, sleepwalking, or eating ice cream and stuff like that, that's called stage hypnosis. What I do is uh, a clinical analytical hypnosis, where I'm putting your conscious sleep and relaxing, or putting you in trance, relaxing your conscious and speaking directly to your subconscious. What we must understand is our subconscious was developed by the time we were three years old. Some say seven. So as adults, we're still making decisions based off of 
things that happen when we were three to seven years old. A simple case, a simple, 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 simple example. A young man who goes to college and he's promiscuous. It was because something, and when I regressed him and took him back, it was because he was looking for validation. You know, so once I talk to the subconscious and you can align it to now, you know why you're doing the things you're doing. You don't you know you don't want to be like that, but you keep going back to doing the same things. So now that you know better, then you can do better. OK, if you want to know why you're afraid of spiders and then you think back to that time when you were a little girl and you were on the boat with your parents and your mom started screaming, just just screaming, screaming, screaming. And you got scared. Well, now as an adult, you're afraid of spiders. It kind of comes back. It's called the ISC initial sensitizing event so you you seen your mom be afraid of spiders when you were a little kid it affected you as an adult you want to stop being in certain kind of relationships with certain kind of people stop attracting certain kind of people consciously you know this but subconsciously you keep going back to the same kind of person why so when we do hypnosis that's why i can relax your conscious so you're not really thinking about it and we're going to go straight to the core the difference between what we do what most of us do a chain reaction is talk therapy but with hypnosis i can go straight to the problem and get you get you, that help you figure out what your problem is in about two sessions with talk therapy it usually takes eight to ten however however long but with hypnotherapy i can do it rather quickly oh wow that's amazing i said i've never obviously experienced that so i hope anyone listening or watching if you want to be hypnotized make sure you contact Brian Cheney for that. Um, so Brent, I know that your preferred method of treatment is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT and a little bit of mindfulness. So for those that don't really understand what either of those methods are, can you just kind of explain, explain those approaches and how those are effective with your clients? So I'll start with mindfulness and overall what mindfulness is, is being in the moment, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what's in front of you, especially, you know, during this pandemic, we have been worried about a lot of other things. Some of the things out of our control, some of the things in our control, but we have been worried about what we got to do, what we're going to do next, what we got to do next week. And what mindfulness is, is it brings you in to it, it, it brings your mind to focus on what is in front of you. So I do a technique that, you know, you just feel how your body is. You feel how your breathing is. You can feel how your skin feels in your socks, or you can feel how, you know, your shirt touches your body. And that just reels you in to be able to focus on what's in front of you instead of worried about other things. Um, and it is, something that's been around, but it is becoming more popular now because we live in an unfocused world, right? We try to do 12 things at once. Honestly, we try to do like three things at once. You at work, you might be answering another email for some organization, or you setting up appointments to get clients all at once. And sometimes mistakes are made. It's not the mistakes that are the big deal, but it's just what you are doing to your brain and your body because that wears and drains on you. So you have to be mindful about what's in front of you so you can give it your all. So as far as the CBT, uh, the talk therapy, like the good brother was talking about, you know, um, what that does is simply help you solve your own problems with the help of somebody that you develop rapport with 
that will call you out, basically. You know, not try to diss you, but talk about certain issues. And me would say, well, why is it like that? Why are you doing it this way? Or why do you feel this way? And once you start to explain that and be honest with yourself, then we can start to work on those feelings and get you over whatever you're going. I don't even want to say get you over, but help you through whatever you're going through, whether it is something that happened in your childhood or is something that's going on right now. Um, with CBT, I tend to meet my clients where they are. And um, sometimes we work forward, sometimes we work backwards, but we're going to work. I hear that. So are either of those ever performed like in the group therapy session or they're more one-on-one type of approaches? So with CBT, it's more one-on-one with mindfulness. Yes, mindfulness definitely can be done in a group setting, but you can have groups with people that have experienced, experienced the same thing. And then that actually is a big benefit because once you, I might experience something, I might think I'm the only person in the world, but if it's seven more people, uh, he might have, or she might have got over that and they might help me with the steps to get over that mm-hmm. because they have experienced it. I might be new to it. So it can be done in a group setting. Mindfulness definitely can be done um, in a group setting. It's, it, it might could be preferred for some people um, because they want to learn not just from me or learn from themselves. They want to learn from people that also have experienced whatever they might be going through. Okay. Thank you. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, Lawrence, when it comes to taking a holistic approach to treatment, can you please explain your client centered and solution focused therapy intervention? Can you let us know what that looks like and how that approach helps your clients? Well, I like to basically like I mentioned earlier, kind of make sure I start where the where the client is and really like so for for these young people, um, a lot of them just really need an outlet to talk or or need need, need a voice, uh, their voice to be heard. Um, sometimes they don't get that at home, um, so I could be that outlet. So what I try to do is is like you know I listen to them, I try to let them know that I I heard them that I understand them. And then I try to provide like a perspective and a, and a, and a, and a plan that, that, that they know that that will help encourage them that they can reach their goals um, in unconditional positive regard. Um, So that's mainly been my focus um, with, with that type of therapy. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, And I just wanted to throw a question out there um, and open it up to any of you that want to answer, but, I know there's been a lot of talk on, you know, men not opening up or asking for help. They're suffering in silence just because they don't want to be seen as weak or less masculine. So any of you want to share any thoughts on why that is and how we could potentially change the narrative and get young men of all ages due to realize that that is an actual sign of strength to be able to reach out and ask for help when needed? I, I can go first on that one. So. What usually happens when a man opens up, whether it's to a woman or whether it's with another male, right? Their weaknesses get used against them, right? They could be going through something. They open up. They tell you about it. Man, in my childhood, this happened to me. Or last week, this happened to me. And then when someone gets upset, you know, they throw it, they, they might throw it in their face 
So men, we tend to keep it on the inside. Um, I, one thing, and, and it's funny because it's been a theme with my clients as of late, is men don't like to be vulnerable. Mm. But see, we have to change our thinking when it comes to vulnerability. Because what vulnerability does is give you power. If you open up yourself to somebody, become vulnerable, and their reaction is something that hurts you, then you know you don't need to be dealing with that person, right? But if you are vulnerable to a person and you make a connection and you get what you need from that person, then that's a connection that you that you need to strengthen and you can lean upon and you can grow upon. So becoming vulnerable, while it sounds weak, it's actually keeps you in control, right, of yourself. It keeps you in control of who you need to deal with and who you don't need to deal with while you're on your mental health journey to be, you know, get it to where you want to be so you can function in society. So with men, um, it's just we, we have to be able to open up to people we trust. We have to be able to congratulate people. We have to be able to just not be tough all the time, you know? And I believe that it's going towards that, but we still a lot of work to do. Absolutely. A lot. And hopefully this is just the beginning. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. Hopefully more people yes. are you know, being educated and understanding exactly what you just said to not surround themselves with people who are not adding to the betterment of their health. Anyone else? Sure, I'll hop in. Um, in our culture, there's a lot, a lot of pressure to being a strong black male. And that can be taxed mentally as well as physically. And as men, just like Brent said, we're not encouraged to open up. And you made the statement earlier, 72% of our men experience uh, some sort of depression in their lifetime. Unfortunately, a lot of our men don't seek help. And when they do get help, they're in jail. So I think it's very important for us to, to keep that in mind and understand that we live in two different worlds, uh, one internal and one external. In the external world, we're talking about our five senses. We're talking about smell, our sight, uh, the, the sense of touching, hearing, and tasting. And all too often, we cater to those senses. But those internal senses, which deal with our emotions and our feelings, those are the ones that are very important, but most often neglected. Like some of the most important things in life aren't seen. We're not going to see mental health. So you, we can be out here, in, especially in sports, where we're in an environment where you're in an arena where you're supposed to be tough. So you can't be soft. You can't let that guard down. And, and Because, again, it's a sign of weakness. People aren't going to seek mental health because, especially athletes, because they think that might affect their playing time. There's so many stigmas. So we have to break these barriers down and let people know that it's okay to talk to someone. We all need someone to talk to. We've been doing it forever, but we always go to Big Ma or Auntie or our uncle or our cousin. There was never a black man or never black men there sitting on the other side of the table to help. So therefore, as black men, we've been discouraged all along because not, you know, it is what it is. You're usually going to see a white woman on the other side of that table. And her experience vastly different than yours. There's there's no sugarcoating that. It's going to be different. So when we remove that barrier and put somebody on the other side of the table that looks like looks like you, 
that hopefully we can start breaking down some of those barriers and, and start getting these men the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll go ahead and add. Um, vulnerability is I've learned is is key to connection. It's key to being able to build with one another um, to help to to build our community to to really allow us to come together like we need to to be liberated. Um, and I give you an example like I was okay. Personal example: a friend called me uh, two days ago talking about his, his, his problem, you know, called me for help, you know, for support. And I'm listening to him and all along, I'm just listening to him and I didn't know what to really say. But then what something he said pricked my heart about the issue that I was struggling with. And when I shared that with him, it instantly helped, helped encourage him to encourage me. And and we both came out of that conversation like stronger. And because of that conversation the other day, today I got a call from another friend. And because of my journey that I started two days ago to kind of get back on my feet with certain things, I was able to share what I was doing with this friend today. And he excited and liberated. But it started with vulnerability. So I love that. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like Ryan was trying to jump back in there. I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, I'm good. I was just smiling. Great points, Mr. Robinson. Yeah. That, it, that was. Thank you. Um, so before we close it up, I just wanted to know if you guys had any final thoughts that you wanted to leave the audience with. I know we covered a lot here. You guys great gave great approaches and reasons why our men out there should be seeking you know, assistance when needed. So I just wanted to see what you wanted to leave the audience with. Um, Ryan, we can start with you. Well, again, like you mentioned in the introduction, I firmly believe that every action is a reaction of a certain chain of events, hence chain reaction counseling services. So, gentlemen, before we react and people see that end result, it's almost like filling back the layers of an onion. You have to take back some layers to get to the core to see what the problem really is. Because when society sees it, they just see us as these aggressive, emotional beings. And really, we have trauma that needs to be addressed but we haven't had anybody to address that trauma with. So gentlemen, we're here now. Uh, we're here to be effective makers of change. Um, as some strong clinicians rolling with me. And again, uh, we're open for service and anything we can do for our community, we will. Excellent, I love it. Brent? All I have to say is uh, black male therapists matter. Yes, they do. <laughs> Lawrence, um, I just uh, say something that I that I learned that I uh, read this morning. Um, basically, okay, so here we go. So basically, you know, the the darkness. It's, it's important to overcome to 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 you know face our mental health challenges, um, and the darkness that some of our mental health health challenges, bad habits, addictions, and things. That it that comes with that, um, it dim it takes away from the sweetness of life that God meant for us to have. So it's important for us to face face those things and, and get help and reach out and be vulnerable. Um, and that's what we're here for um, as therapists, and we're also here for one another um, for that as well. Amen. 
Thank you so much for that. Um, so, Brian, where can people find you all at Chain Reaction Services? You can reach us at Chain Reaction LLC. That's Chain, C-H-A-N-E, Reaction Counseling Services, LLC.com. It's ChainReactionLLC.com. You can also reach us uh, by phone at 248-497-8975 and definitely leave a message and we will get back with you. We also have uh, several female therapists as well. Awesome, amazing, someone for everybody. I love it. Um, this was a great discussion, guys. So again, Brian, Brent, and Lawrence, I wanna thank you all again for being here today. I truly enjoyed this discussion and all the information that you guys shared. I hope everyone who's watching and listening has a better understanding of the specialized styles of approach that you're used to and the importance of seeking help from a professional when needed to be able to be determine the best treatment plan for yourself. I know a lot of people just simply think going to see a therapist is just sitting on a couch and telling your problems, but we've learned here this evening that that is not the case, especially at Chain Reaction Services. Um, and to all the young men and the adult men who are tuning in, remember that you don't have to suffer in silence. It's not a sign of weakness, but one of strength when you recognize the need for help. We all know that representation matters as we've spoken about in a great deal this evening. And just know that there are therapists who look like you and understand your struggles who are available to assist. So I hope you all make the call if you feel the need to. So until next time, thank you guys all again. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thanks.